0: Welcome to Masterclass, a collaboration between the Virtual World Diplomacy Community and BrotherBoard's Diplomacy Dojo. The host for this week's episode is Dave Maletsky. In addition to being a world-class diplomacy player and known for his trademark sombrero, Dave is the organizer of the diplomacy event at Carnage on the Mountain at Mount Snow, Vermont. Carnage will be the host of the World Diplomacy Championships for the year 2022.
1: So uh, you all know Dave Maletsky. He is uh, the current tournament director of, of Carnage, uh, which is going to be happening in December, right, Dave? No, uh, first, first full weekend in November. First full weekend in November, okay. Uh, and it's going to be in person this year? Yep. Yeah. Uh, might, might just be the first in-person tournament in the United States uh, this year. And uh, Dave is a longtime commentator and uh, has strong opinions and educated opinions about the game of Diplomacy. He is going to talk to us about uh, identifying playing styles and, and how to deal with them. Uh, thank you, Dave, for giving us your time.
2: Yep. All right. Well, um, so I'm going to, just like the last one, uh re- talk for a while and then uh, expect to hopefully have a question and answer session so um the first first thing point I want to r- raise is that um people when they're thinking of uh, mostly others play styles because uh, you always want to think the best of yourself um, uh, you, you, it, there's a tendency to break uh, uh, axes up into uh a good one and a bad one and i want to dissuade that notion so i'm going to throw out a couple of uh, axes that um can define uh different play styles but they're not going to be there's not going to be a clear good and a clear bad and i'll explain that further as we go along okay and i'll also have uh, i also have uh, jotted down uh hopefully recognizable individual for each of these uh that um you'll be able to uh um mostly understand all right so um so one uh, the, this is not going to be a comprehensive list but it's a pretty uh, replete list and you'll i think uh once you, i start going through this you'll get a sense of how to um partition axes of uh that define play styles out for yourselves as well all right, so the most uh, I want to start with the simplest and most recognizable, which is uh, risk seeking versus risk averse. Um, as uh, uh, it, it, it's pretty self explanatory, but uh, for diplomacy, um, uh, the risk seeking player is going to uh, be more prone to um, take chances, want to get a acc- cross stalemate lines more quickly play an up-tempo game um and uh not worry about um interior lines as much and uh just try to try to um be aggressive more than anything else the risk averse player is going to play a more cautious game um to uh N- not, uh, allow units behind their lines, try to, uh, make sure they have fronts and hold onto their home centers and so on. Um, so I don't know, uh, hopefully if any of you have uh, met him or, uh, seen, uh, the Chris Martin's WDC videos, uh, Nathan Barnes is a, cl- a classic example of a risk seeking, uh, player. Um, he uh, is the tournament director of the Washington, uh the tournament that ran in Seattle for many many years the WAC. um and i would say um as a paradigm uh paradigmatic case for the risk averse player um adam silverman who i think you all are familiar with um as a dbn broadcaster also a co-organizer of whipping in san francisco um both and and so this is uh, what I was talking about before. Both the both sides of the axis um, still host top level players, even though uh, the, you know they're uh, diametrically opposed. Um, and I I'll have one more thing to say about that later on, but uh, that that'll be in the concluding
1: remarks. All right. So, Abe, would you say that one uh, type is is more likely to solo than another, whereas say uh, risk averse might be more likely to be included in a draw. So interestingly, um I would say
2: no to um the solo part of the question because even the risk averse player, um I think is going like at the top at the highest level is still going to have just as good of a chance to solo with their play style because um the risk averse play, the the risk seeking player will um, more quickly, be over stalemate lines and positionally maybe be better off uh, as far as having a chance to solo. But I think that's counterbalanced by the risk averse player is more likely to not have uh, to to have good relationships around the board and to not have uh, created um, uh, conflict or enemies. um, And that will uh, profit their uh, solo chances just as much as uh, the risk seeking players aggression um i would say as far as surviving in the draw though um yeah i would ha- i would tend to think that uh, the risk averse player is going to have a slightly higher chance because uh, the ri- the risk seeking player again is uh going to um uh, be aggressive, uh, be, initiate. Uh, you know, and uh, some they're not always going to be correct. I mean, if, even the best players are going to uh, misassess uh, the situation uh, every so often. And in those cases, I think um, when when you've uh, picked the wrong target, as far as who you thought would work with you and who you didn't. Um, the risk-averse player is probably more likely to b- still be able to survive in a draw than the risk-seeking player, to answer that question. Okay, um, the uh, next axis I have here uh, for uh, the uh, Defines play styles. I've got on the one side a Gregarious and on the other side, Attentive. Um, again, this is pretty self-explanatory, but the Gregarious player is going to uh, be charming and uh t- talk your ear off and have all sorts of plans and ideas for you and be very engaging and want to be your buddy and uh, uh, make the game fun the uh tennis player is uh going to allow uh, uh is going to be paying close attention to you and uh be intently listening be um showing you a lot of, of uh respect or deference uh, you might interpret it to be. Um, so, al- although that's not necessarily what's going on. So I would say the paradigmatic cases I have of each of these is I've got uh, Ed Sullivan as the uh, paradigmatic case of the gregarious player and Peter McNamara as the paradigmatic case of the attack player. And again, uh, just like in the pr- previous, on the previous axis, both both of these uh are top level players, like both both of these uh play, sti- play styles uh can be successful um equally well. Um I've only got a couple more of these axes just to as as examples. So um let's see. Uh got uh short term versus long term uh players so the short term player who i have jim o'kelly who was the uh, leader of the uh, weasels the chicago club for many many years and created it originally um it was a great player um he uh he his style is a uh, very um t- uh, get what's in front of you uh you know he's very dotty um he'll uh uh grab anything he can but then he's going to trust his the uh, um, which is excellent to be able to talk himself out of the consequences that would ordinarily befall somebody that's behaving like that. Whereas the long-term player who uh, let's see, oh I've got a Doug Moore down here as a long-term player is going to have uh, an overarching strategic idea um, at every point in the game. It might not always be the same one because it's going to adapt or change with the circumstances, but it's always going to have an idea of where he wants to go. He's going to be thinking several turns down the road, even if it's not a a perfect uh, uh, prognostication, Um, and is very much uh, not likely to just uh, one-dot somebody because – he's trying to uh, orchestrate the board a certain way and uh, his relationships a certain way.
1: So, same question for you. Would you think that uh, one style versus the other is more likely to solo or survive?
2: Um, I would say in, well, in this case, uh, the... Uh, both both Jim and Doug have ha- had their share of solos so again I think uh, both styles can succeed at that um, as far as uh, surviving in the draw um, I, I I think uh, both I, I, I honestly I think both can survive in the draw just equally as well um, it, it's 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 just a matter of uh, what what your skill set is to accompany the, the style you've chosen. For instance, if you're trying to pursue the short-term play style and you're not, uh, you're, you know, if you're a good strategist and a good tactician, but you're not a particularly good diplomat, you're probably going to fail until you figure out your diplomacy because, um, you know, you can't just be annoying everyone around you and not ameliorating it with your diplomacy um and hope to survive you know you you have to have uh if not friends in the game then at least um a day, some detente on your borders um so i th- i think uh it, it, it any of these playstyles if you're not good at them are going to, you know, you're, you're probably not going to survive at the draw, but that's because of your skill and experience level, not because of the, these styles in particular. Um, and the last axis I have here uh, written down is uh, uh, tenacious versus adaptable. Um, so tenacious, I think, uh, Nicolas Sahuge is a great example of a tenacious diplomacy player who will um really uh and to to, to uh, go to natty's question uh, for this axis in particular really um fight to be in the draw fight to remain on the table um uh, maybe you know maybe uh, uh not as much of a chance of soloing but um is going to uh really try to have friends really um going to make uh, tactically sound choices uh, uh defend aggressively where needed um and not expose themselves to elimination whereas the adaptable player um who is TG hmm. I, I wrote down initials for everyone and i can't remember oh uh i would say uh, Tanya um Tanya Gill is a, a adaptable player um where she will um sit down and if she's stabbed someone or if someone stabbed her or something has happened somewhere on the board um she's going to parse that reality immediately into a new picture of what her best interest is going to be for that turn and it might differ wildly from the preceding turn um she's not she's unlikely to hold like uh, she might profess uh, in diplomacy to hold a grudge, um, uh, but she's unlikely to hold a blood feud with somebody unless she finds them um, you know, capricious or unreliable. She's going to immediately, from turn to turn, take the new information and convert it to her best advantage. Um, and it's not and and you know both Tanya and Nicola are top level players again. Uh, uh so the the uh point of uh the these and other axes on which uh you can identify play styles is that uh yeah, it, there's a lot of different paths to success that's what i what to me makes the game so elegant is that there uh, if if you just had to uh choose one um you would really it would really be much worse of a game but uh, I've, I've named eight um, playstyle uh, factors that factor into playstyles, and there are uh, several more, as you can imagine. Um, the, the, uh, so now let me move on to the second part of this and then conclude and then just open it up for questions. So what I want to say about this is that um, these different uh, criteria or axes that define um, playstyles, it's best to possess all of them like you're i mean it sounds crazy uh especially if you're just starting out but yeah you, you, when you're starting out um you don't want to tunnel vision into um your uh own par- particular strengths just like you don't want to tunnel vision into only talking to your neighbors to become a real top level player uh you it's very important, like you you play to your strengths and you you know you make your best decisions, obviously, from turn to turn. but it's very important over the course of many iterations and uh, to shore up your weaknesses more than anything else, I would say. Um, so let's say uh, in in uh, let's say you're a risk averse player, uh, th- then you've got to give yourself some practice in being risk seeking. It doesn't mean you have to change your core tendency. Um, but you need to be able to jump ship to the opposite side of the spectrum when um, it's when it suits your purpose in the game. Uh, because all of as I mentioned, all of these uh, have at least one top level player who is a paradigmatic case of representing um, that that particular axis of a play style. Go ahead, Natty.
1: Yeah. So you said you need to be know when to switch. So I guess that's the, the question. When when do you know what what is the 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 signal that you need to switch up from a gregarious play style to a, a more uh, um, uh, uh, attentive play style? Like you need to do more listening. What what is the signal in game that that your play style is not going to serve you well for that type of game? right
2: so um it's it's gonna be situationally dependent on and all dependent on the uh, particular um factors you're uh, in consideration with the uh, re- with regard to the axis and um so let's say you're talking like you said gregarious versus attentive uh, if you're a generally gregarious player um yeah, uh, it's a pitfall to. Um, be so caught up in your own voice and your uh, what you're trying to accomplish that you're n- not paying attention to cues. Um, and similarly, if you're a if you're an attentive player, um, you're, you, you you might end up uh, listening. You might end up being too quiet and insufficiently assertive um, in conversations, and the other player might walk away from the conversation with you thinking uh, that nothing was accomplished. So the uh, you, there's a balance that needs to be struck and if you so if you're again like uh uh if you're a top level player like the paradigmatic cases I have on both sides of this are Ed Sullivan and Peter McNamara. Um Peter is going to still excel at a you know I'm w- being uh, fully gregarious but being friendly and assertive and um, not uh, just staying completely quiet during the diplomacy round. And similarly, Ed is going to be paying uh, attention and uh, is very aware of cues. You know, it's not, so again, it's a matter of, I would say in an, to, to answer the question, it's a matter of skill level, like I was saying earlier, and experience level. Um, that will tell you when to flip. Like, uh, but ultimately, the important thing is that you want to acquire all of these. You you, you want to have the ability to um, go uh, to, uh, the ability to flip. Uh, that you're not just you don't have gaping voids in your game. And then, when the situation presents itself, you have confidence in your ability to um, assess what's going on. Uh, so I would say that um, if if you have if you possess uh, uh, open a core open mindedness which I'm going to get to in a second and you you have a, a, a wide variety of tools in your toolbox um, then you're going to be much better suited to make good decisions in the moment and you'll be able to better identify when to stray from your core tendencies because um, you'll have the experiential basis to do so. So, um, uh, I, I think, uh, the, the last bit here is just, um, some things that'll help you develop your own play style. Um, obviously, uh, like I was saying with experience practice, it's, a uh, truism that, uh, practice is going to make you, uh, make you better. Um, as, and as long as you avoid the pitfall, I was mentioning earlier where you, are, um, tunnel visioning into, uh, a, a one or a few, uh, different elements that prevent your, uh, broader growth. So an example of this and very, very, uh, frequent example of this and, uh, new to mid range players is, um, they, they show up at some major event and they have lesser goals for themselves. Um, so let's say, uh. Uh, you show up at, uh, uh, what was the biggest one last year, VDL or something, v- VWDC, whatever, VDC, and um, you think, oh, um, if I can get in a draw here, or if I can get into the top uh, third of the players, or whatever, if you're setting um, lesser goals for yourself, then you end up uh, hamstringing yourself uh, and your results, because... You need the like if you're going to go for it, uh, even if you're a risk averse player, you still need the practice in going for it. You you can't you can't you can't uh, just there's no solo savants. You know, there's no one who just has never played diplomacy and uh, miraculously um, solos all the time. Like that's not a thing. It's never been a thing, even among the best of the best. So, you know, you, you, you need the practice, you need the experience. Um, so that's uh, the first thing that will help you in your uh, identify and develop your play style is playing more, more than anything. Um, the next thing is uh, introspection. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about this because everybody does it. Um, so, but obviously, uh, an, doing some self-analysis and uh, distancing yourself from your emotional response in the game, or immediately thereafter, can 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 be productive at times. Um, the, the the main things that I think ultimately will help you develop into a, the top level player um, is are uh, observation and open mindedness. Um, so, in uh, as opposed to introspection, if you obs- are being uh, attentive to what how other people react to you, you I feel like you can learn a lot more. On on balance, about your own play style, than if you're just trying to think about it yourself. Because we're all trapped in our own uh, perspe- perspe- perspectives. Uh, there's no even, no matter how much of a genius you are, you you still can't get out of your own mind. And it can be very helpful if you have an if you keep an open mind and you're able to entertain uh, where other people are coming from it can be very helpful to develop your own play style and your own skill level.
1: you uh, personally take notes about your thoughts of the game uh, and other people so that you can go back and and go through that introspection process and and know why you made the decisions you, you did, and then once you're emotionally distanced decide if you made the right decision?
2: So I, I never, uh, take notes for myself. Like I have a pretty good memory and also like if, if, if it was important to me, I'm going to remember it, but, um, I will, um, pay particular attention to what others are saying. And, uh, especially not so much in the game because, you know, in the game players are angle shooting their best interests. But, uh, when you're sitting at the bar after, uh, uh and you're shooting the shit and trying to rehash, uh. You know, X, Y, and Z, that's the time that not just for myself, but I've seen many, many, many players are really gaining insights and improving their game. Um, the ones that are genuinely like uh, listening and open minded and ask and inquisitive and trying to ascertain, like, how, like the 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 best of the best, like the uh, Andrew Goffs and Doug Moores of the world, the Adam Siegel's, the, uh, you know, whoever else there, you know, that's a long list, but uh, they're, they're never asking like, um, like, why did you screw me over? Or they're never asking like, um, how, you know, how, how, they're never asking a question about the other person in the AAR it's always how could I have communicated better, or how could I have gotten you to work with me, or it's it's always something where they're trying to learn about themselves. Like like if you if you ever have a conversation with Adam Siegel, um, Andrew Goff, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. Like that it's 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 always a learning process. You never stop learning, even if you've won like uh you know a bunch of tournaments and several world championships and what have you. Um, and that, that's how you, uh, uh, you know, get to the top level and stay there. Um, and the, the key, the key, the key element above all else, like I said, is open-mindedness. If you, if you are trying to constantly improve your game and you're not closing yourself off to data, um, you're, and no, and you divorce yourself from your ego and, and emotions and, you know, just the, that's that's the best way you're gonna. Have, that's the best way you're gonna improve. Is you can't take you can't take a string of results, no matter how extensive it is. Personally, because that's how people burn out of the hobby, uh, and worse, you know. Like uh, there have been some excellent players who just couldn't deal with bad results. And the fact of the matter is, no matter how good you are, you're gonna get bad results. I mean, that's just reality. Like there's gonna be uh bad frustrating games. Uh famously uh Eddie Person has told me and others several times about how uh from nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty eight, every time he showed up to an event he got eliminated. You know, ten ten years of getting eliminated. So, you know, like and he's obviously one of the uh best players in the world and um it happens to everybody, and the only way you're going to have the emotional longevity to sustain yourself through those uh, through through getting jumped out of the gate by all your neighbors and just getting beaten down and no one wants to talk to you and every frustrating thing you can think of, like somebody, your ally of several turns, negative one dot stabs you, you know, like uh, anything that annoys you in the game uh, or uh, sets you off, like, it's going to happen uh, thousands of times if you play enough. So you just got to, you know, uh, be at peace and uh, divorce yourself, at, even if you can't accomplish it in the moment. Uh, between the between the uh, gaming experiences, divorce yourself from your ego, divorce yourself from uh, the emo- your emotional response. So try to assess what happened and um, develop your play style. And uh, fr- also I want to say to the um, players who came up in the online hobby primarily rather than the face-to-face hobby that um, your metagame reputation, I know metagaming is looked down upon um, online and there are there are brands of it that rightly should be looked down upon. You know, for example, uh, showing up with two buddies and then colluding to get a result, like obviously... Before the game has even begun, if you're allied, that's not cool. But like, there's brands of metagaming that are going to not only be um, permissible but desirable for your um, because your metagame reputation is an important part of your skill set. Uh, you you have to be thought of as a good ally to, in a lot of cases. You have to be th- thought of as somebody that people can work with, somebody that people can turn to for advice. Somebody who's not a pushover, somebody who doesn't get isn't going to allow others to walk on them. There's a variety of metagame reputational elements that are very, very important. So even if you've been trained over years to uh, frown on the metagame and look down on the metagame, I would uh, I would caution you that uh, uh, an important portion of developing your play style is ultimately going to be establishing a metagame reputation for yourself among players who you've uh, played with over several iterations. Um, because if you don't do that, it's really going to cripple your results in the long term. Um I think that's uh, most of what I wanted to uh, say. So now we can just uh, open it up to a question and answer session.
1: Uh, so a lot of this was about identifying your own play style and, uh, working through your own play style. But do you also use this information to categorize opponents' play styles and, and, and how you can best take advantage of that information?
2: Oh, 100%. Um, uh, again, at the at the highest levels, uh, players are going to be adaptable and uh, you won't be able to pin them down exactly. But 100%, a perfect example of this is um, uh, there are several players like... Uh, I, the the two that come to mind uh, of, the, of the of the best of the best are uh, Tom Coburn and, and Adam Silverman, who I've played many games with over the years, and both of them are better diplomats than I am. I'll just say that right out of the gate. But um, I, I will uh, for, for many many games, I would just hands down defeat the, them tactically with inferior amount of pieces and frustrate them. Oh, uh, Eric Mead is another one. and it's not because I'm uh you know tactical genius. uh it's because I understand their play style like I said earlier, silverman is risk averse and um so you know when somebody's risk averse they're i I, I told uh, Silverman in person uh, one time that because he was he's like, oh, why are you saying I'm a terrible player because you know I joke around with my buddies and whatever um so i'm like uh, you adam you have the crippling weakness that you always make good moves and he's like i don't understand what you mean and then i explained it to him and then he's like oh now i understand what you're saying you know that like if if you're always making just like sound or optimal moves uh that uh, w- without considering the context you know it just what would be good moves in a vacuum you're going to end up with really frustrating tactical results when you play against the best players now you're going to end up with fine results when you play against most players you know 70 percent of the players but if you know like at the highest levels people are going to just if you're predictable like that people are going to know what you're going to do and be able to defeat it by doing the stupid moves you know, and similarly um, t- uh, to take it away from tactics for a minute, um, uh, with uh, uh, with um, diplomatic play styles, like for example, uh, if 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 I'm interacting with somebody like a uh, Nathan Barnes, or there's a there's a bunch of players like this, uh, Jim Bob Burgess, rest in peace, used to be one. There's a lot of players, Matt Shields, who will. Want to uh, if uh, you you can identify that they want to do something interesting or exciting or fun or new. You know they don't want to just do the thing that they've done a thousand times. And so if you identify that in somebody, then you can pitch some crazy shit to them that might get you some advantage in the game at uh, either early on or later on, um, and they might go for it. Whereas if you're talking to somebody. Who's not gonna? Uh, who's just like a bloodthirsty shark, like you know, an Adam Siegel or Chris Martin or whatever? Uh, they're they're going to think you're just straight bullshitting them, or that you you're talking down to them, or that you know they're not going to want to work with you in that exact same context. Uh, so yeah, it's very it's very important to identify the elements of other people's play styles and play to, play to them um if if you're able if you're able to identify tendencies then definitely play to them because it can only improve your results
1: and how would you take advantage of someone who's gregarious or attentive because that that it's probably core diplomacy for me right now is figuring out whether or not somebody's listening to me or trying to get me to do something and how do i take advantage of that
2: so um if you're interacting with a gregarious player um, you what you want to do is uh, just uh, you. You essentially want to um, get them to spill the beans on. They're they're very likely to a gregarious player is very likely to um, slip up and give you too much information if you let them. Um, you, they it might not be uh, patently obvious, like they're not going to show you their order set or something. But uh, if you can read between the lines. Uh, Player who's super talkative is going to, uh, in all likelihood, if you if you sift through um, the uh, smoke and mirrors, give you the information you need out of the interaction. Um, so yeah, that's how I would say um, take advantage of the gregarious player, and and as far as the attentive player, um, I would say uh you, you return what they give so um if you're dealing with a player who's just uh quietly uh listening and staring at you then um make the make the conversation short and sweet and don't waste your diplomacy time on them uh as much and then um you know they they're unlikely to occupy Uh, other players diplomacy time for that exact reason so you can get yourself an advantage in the form of you know if 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 uh let's say i'm in a game with peter and we're we both share a common neighbor if if peter is uh talking to that talks to that neighbor for like two to three minutes during the diplomacy round and i talk to them for eight minutes there's a good there there's a pretty good chance they're going to end up working with me rather than Peter just by virtue of the extent of the interaction. Um, uh, again, it's a matter of obviously uh, skill level and um, amiability. The, there's a number of things that play into it. But in a vacuum, uh, it's somebody, you'd get, it's somebody you spend more time interacting is more likely to uh, work with you than somebody who's spent almost no time interacting with them. So that's how I would say uh, you take advantage of the uh, attentive players. Uh, uh, but again, like I said, at the top levels, uh play, just cannot reiterate this enough that players will o- occupy all of these spaces.
0: Uh, so David, uh, with someone who's adaptable, um, how would you say would be the best way to take advantage of that given that, <laughs> that they will like kind of sort of move
2: their play around you? So um, the... The the best way to take advantage of the adaptable player is um I can give you a couple of examples. Uh so I played a game, um I think I was Germany and Corey was England and Katie Gray was France. Uh and I'm a very adaptable player. Um I I can uh you know, like I I I definitely have that within my skill set. And Katie uh wasn't uh openly attacking me in the early going but basically just lined up her pieces on my front and then just continued to pressure me and it's again this is easier done when you're france but nevertheless she ended up getting a good result off the board um just by uh sustaining a constant level of pressure uh to limit my strategic flexibility um and so that so that's a uh, one on board way and as far as uh, diplomatically uh the, the, you, you can uh, take advantage of it by in your conversations with other players that look um they're not you know somebody like a Chris Martin like they're not really going to care if you uh one dot them like they might uh for show like go into hysterics and you know but you, there, the adaptable the adaptable player is one that's more likely to allow you to lie to them over and over again. Uh, whereas you know the tenacious player is just going to be like, nope, you know so I, I think um, because the adaptable player is constantly taking uh, the the game state in in its current form as uh, what needs to be dealt with, Yeah, the the downside of that for for them is that uh they they don't have a like they might have a memory, but they they're not uh, since they're not holding grudges that they will allow uh, us fate complete to slide in a lot of cases, whereas the tenacious player will not. So I think those are the ways in which you would take advantage of the adaptable player. Uh, so just as a follow up, if you are an adaptable player, uh, would you say like the best way to like you know sort of counter that second part is to have like sort of understood bright lines where if they cross that, it's just irredeemable, like, you know, and you will throw or you will punish them by whatever means necessary. Well, still generally speaking, being a very adaptable, read the game state as is and play off of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, I uh, like I said, I'm an adaptable player, but um, I'm also... A, tenacious player and uh, chris i think chris martin in his uh a uh, video about a uh, video about me and my play style uh, that he made for you know before uh, the wdc in chicago uh said something along the lines of uh, one of the truisms in face-to-face play in north america is that you don't want to be the first person to stab dave malensky because everyone knows that if you're you know, like if you do some stupid shit to me, like I'm just, uh, going to, even in a major tournament, just piss away a potentially enormous position just to, uh, sh- you know, make sure you understand, uh, that actions have consequences like a per- uh, at that WDC in Chicago. Um, I was working with, Br- I was Italy. Brandon was Germany. I was working with him. I think I was at 12 and Brandon was at like eight or something. And At that point, uh, the entire board was attacking me, right? So every single power on the board was attacking me except for Brandon. And I'm like, you know, at that point, I'm like, fine, uh, I'll deal with it. And Brandon will go uh, suck up Scandinavia and get more centers. And then, um, uh, then some of the pressure will come off me and maybe I'll have a chance and blah, 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 blah. So that's what's going on in my mind. Brandon then uh, proceeds to send uh, an army into Bohemia to start screwing with me and is, like, no longer working with me, even though literally everyone else on the board is attacking me, rather than profiting himself. And so at that point, I'm like, are you kidding? Uh, And so I... Pissed, that that was the only round uh, I didn't uh, get a top uh, leading into the top board of that tournament because I proceeded to then throw away that twelve center position in order to get Brandon and uh, later and also myself eliminated from the game. So you know you I think um, yes uh, is the short answer that you do have like again uh, to to reiterate like I've reiterated many times you want to possess all of these and even if you're an adaptable player you still have to have a tenacious uh, re- metagame reputation and you have to be able to be willing to do what needs to be done or uh like i was saying earlier um and what you asked the question about that people are gonna uh treat you like a punching bag otherwise
1: what would, would you say the distinction in your mind is between being a strategic player and an adaptable player? Because they seem to go hand-in-hand in, hand in my mind. So, uh,
2: everyone has to be a strategic player to an extent, unless you're, you know, the greatest diplomatic savant that has ever lived. And, uh, you know, if if you're a Pied Piper, then maybe you don't have to be a strategist. But for any mortal, uh, you know, you have, you have to have some uh, degree of being a, a strategist. Uh, I would say that's... I would say that's... N- being a strategic player is not something I would put on an, a one side of an axis to define play styles. Cause I would hope and expect that everyone is a strategic player. Um, like maybe not when you're starting, maybe when you're starting out your understanding of the, you know, strategy is minimal um, and you're going to be poor at it, but that doesn't mean you're not trying, you know, that doesn't mean you're not emplo- trying to employ the skills. It's just the skills aren't developed. Um, so I would I would think that being a strategic player is not uh, something that would be on an axis with something opposed because I don't even know what would be on the other side. You know, being a non strategic player, it doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Thanks for having
2: me. Uh, if there if nobody else has any further questions,
1: Th- thank you, Dave, for your time.
0: You've been listening to Masterclass. To participate in future Masterclass sessions, please join the Virtual World Diplomacy Community's Discord server by following the link in the episode description. And remember to subscribe to the Diplomacy Dojo podcast for Brotherboards Dojo, as well as future Masterclass recordings. Thanks to Frederick Larden for the music, Robot is Chilling, used here in our intro and outro.